Okay, don't be afraid. The book of Revelation is not designed to scare you. It's designed to give you hope. It's all about hope. It's all about discipleship. But most importantly, it is all about Jesus Christ. So we are so excited to offer these sermons on the book of Revelation. We hope you enjoy them. Amen. Um, sometimes I'm a little overwhelmed at how the Holy Spirit works. Uh, this is <laughs> one of those times. Uh, earlier in the week, or maybe at the end of last week, Beth said, you know, we're starting a series on Revelation. Maybe this week we just talk about communion <laughs> for the children's sermon. And I said, yeah, that's probably best. Let's go for that. But you have no idea how what you just did <laughs> ties in to this message on Revelation. So I'm excited. Hopefully I don't forget <laughs> to point it out. Okay, so, uh, so here we go. Uh, we are going to do a series starting tonight on this last book of the Bible on Revelation. And this is going to take us all the way until Lent. We're going to go through this book, and we're going to really come to understand the beauty of the book of Revelation, the hope that's found in it. Uh, to be honest with you, I've been waiting 15 years uh, to do this. I've never preached a sermon on Revelation. I've done a couple one-off sermons, but I am so excited about the next, uh, who knows, maybe two years. We'll see how long this takes. Um, <clears throat> but so, uh, so you have to start by asking just the most obvious question about the book of Revelation. Uh, what is it? <laughs> it's so, how many of you have read it, like just sat and read it from... Feel like you got a good grasp of it, having read it once, right? It's kind of a mess. So I'm excited to figure out, to go through the series, figure out with you what this book is. Um, it seems like it's timely. Uh, I mean, apparently the world around us is falling apart, right? So what better place to turn than scripture to figure out how it's all going to go down, right? Um, well, I hate to disappoint, uh, but that's actually kind of the first misconception about the book of Revelation that I want to talk about. Revelation is not about the end of the world. It's not. It's about something, it's actually about someone much more beautiful. Now for those of you who have ever, ever seen the show The Walking Dead, I don't know if there's any big fans of The Walking Dead, but maybe you're familiar with the idea. It's a zombie show, right? The Walking Dead is actually not a show about zombies. It's a show about what it means to really be human, no matter what's happening around you. Or I think of Star Wars, <clears throat> always, <laughs> but uh, think about Star Wars. Uh, Star Wars is not a story about space or about planets that have two suns. It's not a story about lightsabers or the force. Those things are, they're just settings, they're props. It's actually not even a story about an evil empire and a scrappy rebellion that wants to overthrow it. Those are just narrative devices they're the environments in which our characters develop, for better or for worse. At its core, Star Wars is a story about a father who fails and falls into the depths of evil and darkness, who is then restored and redeemed by his own son. So sometimes stories aren't quite what they seem. So then, what is Revelation all about? Well, I want you to listen to how it starts. <clears throat> this is how this letter begins. The revelation of Jesus Christ. Now you guys know I love words. One of the most important words in that sentence is the shortest. The word of. And it is so important. So the question is, does this mean that this is a revelation that comes to us from Jesus? Right? Like the revelation of Jesus. 
or does it mean that it's a revelation about Jesus, that we're getting information about the person of Jesus? Well, thanks to the magic of Greek grammar, it's actually both. It's definitely a message that Jesus gives to us through his disciple John. But I want you to look at the next phrase. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants. Think about how beautiful this is. This is a message to us from a father about a son that he loves. The son that he sent to save us and restore us. The son who now sits at his right hand in glory. I listened to Brendan talk about the beauty of becoming a father. I had that same experience of coming to know the love of God in a unique way being a father. When I think about talking about my kids, as I start to read the book of Revelation, I realize this is a letter from a father who's bragging on the beauty of his son. So this book is not about the end of the world. It is first and foremost about Jesus. And it is the revelation of Jesus Christ as he is right now. So don't be afraid of this letter. That fact alone, that we are getting a glimpse of who Jesus is right now, that should make us wildly curious. I mean, who doesn't want to see Jesus as he is right now? So if I ask you three weeks from now or three years from now, whenever we finish this, what is Revelation about? What are you going to say? Go ahead. It's about Jesus. It's not about the end of the world. It is all about Jesus. So as we go through the series, we're going to see that Revelation is not only not about the end of the world, but that the coming end of the world isn't even the setting of this letter. You see, the setting of Revelation It's just the world as it is, whether that's a Roman world 2,000 years ago or our world today. And the narrative event that moves our characters from one place to the next is this ongoing revelation of who Jesus is as his kingdom invades ours, as he establishes his eternal rule over a renewed and united heaven and earth. The hope of revelation is that his kingdom will come in its fullness that he will be the Lord of all, and that the world will one day be as God intends for it to be. It won't always be this way. So at the end of the day, this letter is about one thing. Just like the rest of scripture, it is all about Jesus. And I've said that so many times already because it is probably the most important point that you will hear throughout this entire series. That needs to be the first thing we think about every time we approach Revelation, every time we read it, every time we talk about it. Because any interpretation, any reading of Revelation that takes us anywhere other than to the feet of Jesus, it's off track and it needs to be corrected. Now, the truth is, it's really easy to get distracted by Revelation. It's easy to get distracted by the amazing and beautiful and terrifying images that we are going to be shown over the next few weeks. And we get distracted primarily by ourselves, because we bring questions to the text, questions that it never intends to answer. And oftentimes we ask these questions before we even open the book. For example, one question that we bring to Revelation that it never intended to answer is when will all the terrible things happen, right? You all assume that there are a bunch of terrible things that happen in Revelation, is that right? 
So we bring to the book the question, well, when are all these terrible things going to happen? Now, we're going to deal with some of that for sure. We might be surprised to find out that some of it has already happened. But when I ask the question, when will all these terrible things happen, who am I actually focused on? You see, when I ask that question, I'm actually betraying the truth that I'm really just focused on myself. Because what I'm really asking is, when will all these terrible things happen to me? And if I read Revelation and my focus is on when things will happen to me, then who am I no longer focused on? Jesus. You see, I really believe that for generations, Christians have read this letter, a letter that reveals to us Jesus Christ as he is right this moment. And we have completely missed the point because we've made it all about us. And we are so good at doing that, aren't we? Now, that's not to say that we're irrelevant to the story. We absolutely have a part to play, and throughout the series, I think that we're going to see that more clearly. I mean, we always end our messages here each week with the two words, so what, right? Because we believe that the living word of God has implications for living, excuse me, for living in this world. So what does this revelation of Jesus have to do with life here on earth in 2020? I don't know, as we're undergoing a global pandemic in an economy that's unraveling, in a culture that's divided by tensions over class and race, at a time when a united country has now become more divided than ever, maybe. I'm confident that we're going to see that the revelation of Jesus Christ is the most important message that we can receive, especially in times like these. So we know what the book is about. But I want to do two more things, and tonight is really just an introduction to this whole series We know what it's about, but next we need to talk about the end. Because as you start reading Revelation, you have to do it with the end in mind. So how does it end? And you just got to remember two words. You already know them. God wins. Jesus wins. Love wins, however it is you want to say it. So if I ask you in three weeks or three months or three years, what is Revelation all about, what are you going to say? It's the revelation of Jesus Christ, and Jesus is going to win. And I want you to hear this. I am often overwhelmed by the news around me. So I remember that in my hand, whether it's an actual Bible or a device, that in my hand is the revelation of Jesus Christ and the truth that Jesus is going to win. So when you find yourself in fear of a pandemic... I want you to remember that in your hands is the revelation of Jesus Christ and the truth that Jesus is going to win. When you're scared because of chaos and division in the streets, worried about our cities and our neighborhoods, I want you to remember that in your hands is the revelation of Jesus Christ and the truth that Jesus is going to win. Sometime this week, when you are remembering that truth, that in your hand is the revelation of Jesus Christ and the truth that Jesus is going to win, If you think about it, I want you to text somebody or call somebody, send them an email and just tell them, I love you, Jesus loves you, and everything's going to be all right. So we know what this letter's about. We know how it's going to end. So now as we get started, we have a decision to make. How are we going to read this? 
It's actually not really fair. Um, I've already decided how we're going to read it. <laughs> um, but I do just want to explain to you why we choose to read it uh, in this particular way. Um, so there are a bunch of different schools of thought on how to read John's letter. Uh, if you go look online, you'll find commentaries and textbooks that'll explain to you the four ways to read Revelation, uh, the five ways to interpret Revelation, the six mistakes people make when they're reading Revelation. I think there's probably a book for every number about how to read Revelation. It just goes on and on. Now, I don't mean to arrogantly dismiss their work, okay? I don't. But all I know is that when I realized the truth that Revelation is all about Jesus, not the end of the world, then that helped me to really listen to reasonable voices that use Revelation to teach, not to scare us. I learned how to listen to voices that use Revelation to teach us the core truths about who Jesus is, about discipleship, and about the hope that we have as disciples of Jesus. And I have been reading Revelation this way for the past 15 years. And it's led me to this conclusion, that there were really only two ways to read Revelation. And hang with me because I'm actually kind of making up my own language here. Uh, The first way to read Revelation is to interpret the words, as I call it, actually. To interpret Revelation actually. So let me give you an example. Uh, This is later in Revelation 1. The hair on his head was white like wool. This is talking about Jesus. As white as snow. And his eyes were like blazing fire, his feet like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. Now some of you have heard me talk about this before, but to read Revelation actually means that you believe that when we finally do see Jesus, we're going to see a being who has fire in his eyes who has bronze feet, and the most frightening one, he has a sword for a tongue. Now, that sounds kind of silly, but to read Revelation actually means that you take these images that were shown, and you see them as nothing more than descriptions of actual things, an actual description of an actual being, or an actual description of event that will actually happen. But there's a problem with reading Revelation actually. When we read Revelation 5, this beautiful throne room scene that we'll get to in a few weeks, Jesus, we meet him again, but this time he's described this way. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain. Standing at the center of the throne, the lamb had seven horns and seven eyes. All right, so which one is it? Is he a white-haired man with fire eyes? Or is he a dead lamb standing on a throne with seven eyes and seven horns? Maybe you want to go somewhere in the middle. Like, well, the seven eyes might have fire in them. (laughs) All right, so the first way to read Revelation is to read it actually. As if it's describing things as they actually are. But I would just argue that nobody really reads it that way. Because most people end up picking and choosing what they read actually. They'll say, okay, sure, Jesus isn't really a lamb. But the Antichrist will be a charismatic leader who comes out of Europe. Or as we find in another point, really only 144,000 people actually get to go to heaven in the end. You see, you can't consistently read Revelation actually because who gets to decide what's actual and what's symbolic? 
And we've actually been fighting over this for 2,000 years. So I just don't think this is how Revelation's meant to be read. So I think the best way to read Revelation is to read it literally. <laughs> Which might make you wonder, okay, are you saying that we have to assume that Jesus is literally a lamb? How is that any different than reading it actually? And you've hopefully heard me talk about this before. To read something literally means to read it according to the type of literature it claims to be. When we say we take something literal, what we actually mean is we take it actual. Do you see what I'm saying? We misuse the word literal all the time. To read something literally means to read it according to the type of literature it claims to be. So if Revelation was like a form of journalism, if it was a historical narrative, then its purpose would be to describe Jesus as he actually is, to tell us about events as and when they will actually happen. But Revelation never claims to be journalism. It never tells us that it's a historical narrative. So what is it? Well, listen again. This is from verse 3. He writes, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what's written in it, because the time is near. John tells us directly that revelation is prophecy. And all that means is that it's a word given to us directly from God. That in this book, we are given insight into what God sees and what God thinks when he looks at the world. And then we get to find out what he's going to do about it. So revelation is a prophecy. But we also know, and you've heard me say this already, it's a prophecy written in the form of a letter from a pastor to the church. It's a letter from a man named John, one of Jesus' disciples. He was a prisoner of Rome. He was in prison on the island of Patmos. And he wrote this letter and sent it first to seven churches in what is now modern-day Turkey. So why is that important? It's important because that means that this letter was written by a specific person to other specific persons who were living in a specific city at a specific time in history. He wrote it to address specific needs, to answer specific questions about faith and this life. So if we're going to understand the message of Revelation, we have to understand the historical context in which it was written. And we will do that over the next few weeks. So Revelation is a prophecy. Revelation is a letter. But finally, it's also what we call an apocalypse. And some of you now are thinking, okay, Chad, so it is about the end of the world. <laughs> it's the apocalypse. But again, that's not what the word apocalypse even means. At least not in the Greek. That's what it means in Hollywood, the end of the world. That is not what apocalypse means in Greek. The Greek title of this book is actually the apocalypse of Jesus Christ. And we translate it revelation because that's the right way to translate it. You see, the word apocalypsis in Greek, all it means is breaking through from hiddenness. Something that was once hidden has now been revealed. So the audience is sitting in the theater, the actors are backstage. If the performance is going to be enjoyed, what has to happen? The curtain has to be pulled back. An apocalypse simply unveils or discloses something that was previously hidden. Revelation, the last book in the Bible, it's the unveiling of the reality of Jesus Christ. 
the disclosure of Jesus Christ, the same Jesus that we first met at Advent, that we last saw at Easter, but now we get to see him as he is today. That meeting after the road to Emmaus when those two disciples sat down with Jesus and they didn't know who he was, it was an apocalypse when he broke the bread. Because in that very moment, it was revealed. The person of Jesus Christ was revealed right before them. That's what an apocalypse really is. To help us understand it more, uh, I want you to hear this uh, from Daryl Johnson. He's a professor. Uh, He wrote a book called Discipleship on the Edge. He really took all the best scholarship about Revelation, and he just made it really understandable. And this book has not only transformed my understanding of Revelation, but my understanding of who Jesus is and what it even means to be his disciple. So he writes this. He says, apocalyptic apocalyptic literature has a number of unique features. Uh, For example, people are often represented in the likeness of animals, thus the lamb, and we'll read later, the beasts. Historical events are represented in the form of natural phenomena, thus earthquakes and floods. Colors and numbers have meanings. Thus, the numbers 2, 3, 4, 5, 7, 10, 12, 144,000, 3 and a half, 1,000. These numbers carry special significance and they figure prominently in Revelation. And we're going to look deeper into all these features over the next few weeks because there's amazing and profound insight in them. But this is the most important feature of this type of literature. And this is the feature that helps us understand why Revelation was written this way and what it's actually trying to do. He says this. He says, apocalyptic literature seeks to do two things. First, it seeks to set the present in light of the unseen realities of the future. And listen to this. If we know what the future holds, it determines the choices we make in the present. If you know that Jesus is going to win and everything's going to be all right, that will change the way you live right now, no matter what's going on around you. So first, it sets the present in light of the unseen realities of the future. Then he says, second, it seeks to set the present in light of the invisible realities of the present. He says, the fundamental conviction of apocalyptic literature is that things are not as they seem. John is first and foremost a pastor, and he wants to encourage his people to keep on following Jesus Christ in a world that is increasingly anti-Christ. And let me step outside of this for a second. I want to give you a really, really practical example, and we're going to see this in a couple weeks in the letter to the church at Smyrna. The reality that we think we see every day is that if I'm a conservative I hate almost everything about people who are liberal. And if I'm a liberal, I hate everything a conservative stands for. What Revelation is telling us is that the conservative and the liberal, you two are not the problem. You are humans made in the image of God and you were made to love one another even when you disagree. The problem is that there is a force that is angry that Jesus was victorious over the grave. And he is so weak and so powerless in the presence of Jesus that the only thing he can do is take his frustration out on the people that Jesus loves. Revelation is telling us that all of the drama that we are dealing with with each other, it is not about us. 
It is about something in reality that is so against Jesus that it thinks it can hurt him by tearing us apart. Now, if you know that and own that and accept that, will that change the way you interact with your liberal or conservative friend? Would that change the way you see whatever they post or whatever they say? Could you start to see you are not the problem, you are a human and I am called to love you. The problem is whatever this force is that's causing this chaos and dissension between us and that's what we all need to stand against. Does that make sense? Can you say amen behind your masks to that? So in this apocalypse, what is unveiled, what is revealed, we find out that it's as simple as a person. That a person stands at the center of both the unforeseen future and everything unseen that's happening right now. And it's a person that you've met before. It's Jesus. That he holds you and all reality in the palm of his hand. That the one who died and was raised to life is the one at the center of everything. And that no matter what visible thing is happening right now, the unseen reality of the presence of Jesus Christ among us needs to remind us every day that everything is going to be all right. So a really quick so what. As you leave today, as you go about your business as the sent church in the middle of a world that is in many ways not only unraveling before our eyes, but is anti-Christ. I just want you to remember these simple words. In your hands, you hold the revelation of Jesus Christ, and Jesus is gonna win, because things are simply not as they seem. That'll give us the courage and the strength to be a people who don't live in fear of a pandemic. We take it seriously, we act responsibly, but we don't live in fear. We don't live in fear of elections or crashing economies, or social unrest. We live as disciples of the one who is coming, the one who has already won, the one who is coming to restore and redeem everything that we have broken. Know that he is fighting for you, that he loves you, like we've said many times, he loves you not because of anything you've done, he loves you just because he chooses to love you. And because of that, in the end, everything is gonna be all right. Because if you know that Jesus wins in the end, that will change who you put your hope in today. It'll change who and what you fear here and now. It'll change everything. So if you hear anything today as we get started about this, with this series of Revelation, I hope that you hear that Revelation is actually a book about hope. It's a book about discipleship, especially in difficult times. But first and foremost, it is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And in times like these, it is exactly the word that we need to hear. Let me read you the rest of chapter one before we take communion together. Following up from where Mark left off, John writes, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and the kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit 
And I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the shining sun in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though I were dead. And then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. But look, I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. So write what you've seen what is now and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the lampstands are the seven churches. That's Revelation 1. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful. We are grateful. I believe that you are leading us to read a really difficult book at a really important time. And not only in the life of this church, but in the context of everything happening in the world around us. So God, help us to see hope. Help us to learn how to deal with all the trouble we face each and every day. Help us to understand how we are to follow you in the midst of a world that's really begging us daily just to turn away. That's telling us you're not worth it. But God, as we are going to sing in just a minute, Jesus, as we are going to proclaim, as we are going to declare all throughout this series and every Sunday in worship, you are worthy. You are the only one who is worthy. We pray all this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Thanks for listening. You can find us online at www.fpc-kingwood.org. Our services are available on our website and find us on Instagram at fpc underscore kingwood. We'll see you next time.